Forrest, one of the campus pastors here, and today we get to continue our series on 1 Peter, getting encouragement to stand firm in grace. Last week, Beck gave us a great word that reminded us that we are to live first with allegiance to Jesus as aliens and strangers, but also to honor the authorities for the, and seek the common good and the flourishing of all. And today we continue on with instructions about how we live in the household of God, how we live with others. And it's a challenging text we come to today, but one I think has goodness for us as we look at it together. I know we just sat down, but as embodied people, would you stand again if you would as we hear God's word together? 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you if you, being aware of God, endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return. Sorry, when he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going away like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. Well, verse 18 slaps us in the face, right? Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference. So we've got to just address this elephant in the room. Start there. And just take a step back and talk about slavery in the Bible. We won't be able to look exhaustively at this. And there's a lot more we could say. But I'm just going to lift up a couple key concepts that, that uh, Dr. Esau McCauley uh, highlights in his reading book, Reading While Black. Esau was with us a few weeks ago on Zoom. He's a friend of mine and a professor of New, of New Testament at Wheaton College. And he highlights three main ways we know that God does not condone slavery by reading the Bible well. Now, the preface, of course, is the church, the Christian church, has at times done a terrible job of reading the Bible well in this area and used the Bible to actually condone slavery. But a good reading of Scripture doesn't allow us to do that. And here's th three ways we see that. One is the creational and eschatological, the beginning and ending intent of humans in the Bible. In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve not with some sense of a hierarchical uh, uh, work where someone would be put down or treated as a slave or an object, that's not there. And in the end, as people come in this new creation around the throne from every tongue and tribe and nation, there's no place for a hierarchy of slavery. Even the things that, that cause slavery, like war and scarcity, those are all gone in this new Jerusalem of plenty. So we see it in there, but we also see it then in the middle parts, the part where sin comes into the story and in the brokenness there is slavery. It does exist. But even in the midst of that, we see Scripture limiting it, accommodating, but reminding 
us that every person is a true person. We see it in the ways that Hebrew slaves were, were set free every seven years. We see it in the way that slaves were given a real Sabbath rest once a week. We see it in other ways that slavery was limited and guarded. And then thirdly, we see it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see now everyone is part of the family of God first. Primary identity is as loved people of God. And then, yeah, there is slavery, but there's ways that affirms the humanity of those who are slaves. In all these ways, we see the Bible does not condone slavery. It actually covertly subverts it. And that's why the, all the, through history, the, ones, the people who have sought to abolish slavery, even today around the world, are very, very commonly Christians. Because they see in the Bible the way that God has made all humans in his image and seeks the flourishing of all. So that being said, let's look a little closer at, at our verse here, 18. Uh, by the way, if you want to learn more about that, Esau's book, I'd encourage, or he has a great podcast on Ju the Jude 3 podcast that talks about his slavery uh, chapter. If you want to learn more, uh, I'm happy to talk with you more too. Okay, we look at this passage, this specific passage though. Here's a key for good Bible reading. Context is key. Context is key. What's the context of this? And that helps us understand it. So let's remember here, Peter has been saying so far like things like this to his crowd. You are reborn. You are heirs of an eternal inheritance. You are God's chosen people. You are beloved. You are to live as God's slaves even though you are free people. So now we come to verse 18, slaves, accept the authority of your masters. We know that Peter's talking to people who are reborn, heirs of eternal inheritance, chosen people, beloved, slaves to God, and, but yet free. So these household slaves that Peter is talking to, Peter is not thinking that's their, key, their main identity or their foundational identity. This is just where they are in life. This is their situation. They are are household slaves. But he treats them as ones who have the full human autonomy and ability to be moral agents. And he invites them to make a choice. To make a choice. See, he treats them as full humans, directly undermining the way that slavery dehumanizes. In America, in American history, primarily based on the color of one's skin, making you less human, and a way to justify slavery, he, Peter, treats them as fully human. You can choose to live a certain way as full human agents. And then in verse 19, these household slaves we find are actually an archetype for us. See, they're the ones who are going to suffer unjustly for doing good, but actually, that's an invitation for all of us. Remember, throughout 1 Peter, we've been hearing you're going to suffer if you follow Jesus. You're going to be an outsider. You're going to be ostracized in Roman culture. And these household slaves are an example of how this works. So verse 19 and 20 and 21 now broadens the question. And Peter says, well, what is true freedom? If these household slaves can be treated as real humans, can have agency, what is freedom? And what is our freedom in the midst of suffering unjustly? 
in America, we love our freedom, right? We love our freedom, at least a, a lot of us do. Think about the, the cowboy wearing the white hat, riding into the sunset, especially in the western United States. And we think of freedom as I can do whatever I want. I remember when I showed up at Colorado School of Mines as an 18-year-old, going to college, moved in my tiny dorm room, and thought, I can do whatever I want now. I can eat whatever I want. If I want soft serve after breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I can have it. Freshman 15 might, might add something to that. You might have something to say. I can stay up as late as I want. I can sleep as late as I want. I can skip class if I want. Not that I really did, but I could if I wanted to. I can do whatever I want. I'm free. I think that's how we tend to think of freedom in America. But I wonder if Peter has a different definition here for us. There's something different. These slaves show us there's a different way to be free than just doing whatever you want, even as we face unjust suffering. So verse 19 through 21, it's credit to you if you, being aware of God, suffer pain unjustly. So Peter walks us through this. Okay, here's how it looks to be free, really free, even while you're suffering, even while it looks like you're not. The first one is the motivation. You are to be mindful of God, aware of God. It's because of God and what you want, how you're interacting with Him, surrendering to Him, that leads us into this true freedom. That's the motivation. Then he says, well, if you suffer for doing wrong, of course, that makes sense. But if you suffer for doing right, you have God's approval. This is our preparation. By suffering unjustly, we're actually learning to live as exiles. By doing what's right, what God wants, but then still suffering for it, we're learning, we're training our muscles to be people who are okay suffering when we don't deserve it. And then finally, he gives us a model. The model is this. You've been called to suffer unjustly because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so you should follow in his steps. That word example is, the, is a play in the, in the Greek on, on a line, like writing between the lines. My son River is, is doing a great job working on his handwriting, and he's, he's uh, always, though, when he writes, he always makes sure we have nice straight lines for him to write on. And when he, do, when he does that, he does a great job. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is this model, the straight lines, showing us how to suffer unjustly, how to be free while choosing to honor God even when it's costly. Well, Jesus, this example, this model, it goes on. He now, Peter unpacks this for us from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is this incredible passage of this suffering servant. And I would encourage you to read it this week as we go through Holy Week. Written 500 plus years before Jesus came, this picture of one who would carry our sorrows. Peter applies it to Jesus. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. He quotes from Isaiah 53. When he was abused, he did not return his abuse. 
like a sheep going to the slaughter, it says in Isaiah 53. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus was the most free anyone could be. He was the eternal son of God. He had power to do whatever he wanted. As the tempter had led him up to the, had said, I'll give you all authority. You can turn this bread and stone, do whatever you want. He could do whatever he wanted, and yet Jesus used his freedom not for himself, but as verse 16 told us earlier, not as a pretext for evil. Instead, he honored everyone. He loved the family of believers. He honored the emperor, and most of all, he feared God. So in Jesus, we see the exercise of true freedom. Jesus shows us what it looks like to really use his freedom. And he uses it to honor God, to fear God, to trust God, and to care for others. See, true freedom is actually found in submission to God. Our true freedom is found in surrendering to God alone. That's where we find real freedom, and Jesus models it for us. He shows us where we find true freedom. It's not maybe doing whatever I want whenever I want. It's actually surrendering to God for the sake of others, and in that I find I am free. Free to eat and sleep and study and be in relationship in ways that lead to flourishing from others and flourishing for me, even if it's sometimes costly. See, verse 24 and 25 tell us to expect suffering. Expect to suffer when you seek to live for God. Expect to be mocked like Jesus was. Expect to be passed over for certain positions because you don't fit Expect to not fit in anywhere politically. Expect to have, think about your money in a way that doesn't just serve you and get what you want because it's all God's money. Expect to have a heart that breaks for others. Expect to be led places you maybe wouldn't have chosen. Expect to suffer unjustly. But in that suffering, know that Jesus, our model, has gone ahead of us. Verse 24, He Himself bore our sins so that we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. See, Jesus isn't just the example for us of this freedom. He's actually more than that. And this week we celebrate this. Jesus is our liberator. He frees us. He took the curse for us. He suffered for us. He was wounded for us. He submitted to God for us. Jesus went ahead of us for us and purchased our true freedom in his life and death and resurrection for us. He frees us from sin to righteousness. No longer enslaved to these things. We just talked about it. No longer enslaved to the lust, to self-serving, to the, the, the desires of the flesh Peter talks about. No longer slaves of things, but, but now free to righteousness. So we're no longer lost sheep wandering wherever we want. Sure, I can go where I want. But lost and alone and afraid in this world. Instead, we're brought into the people of God, the community, the church, a belonging, a place where we have a shepherd who cares for us and meets us in the midst of life and death, in the midst of ups and downs, 
he says, he frees us from being those lost sheep to being in the community and people of God. Evangel, come on up. See, Jesus frees us to submit to God. He models it for us, and he purchases for us true liberation, true freedom that leads to flourishing. Flourishing for us and flourishing for others, even though it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. About 10 years ago, I had this crazy experience of stomach aches that I never had before. Like, debilitating. I couldn't handle it. I, I never missed a day of work in my life. One of those, I'm one of those kind of people. Sorry. And I had to, I had to go home. I was like, I couldn't sit up. And so I spent this year trying to figure out the diet stuff, all trying different things. And finally someone said, Forrest, have you tried cutting out gluten? I said, no, I've eaten gluten all my life. Why would I do that? I love pasta and bread. So finally stubbornness gave in to this, my stomach hurts. And I stopped eating gluten for a couple days. And immediately stomach ache stopped. It's a little bit like this. Yeah, I, I was free to gluten, Sure but it was destroying me from the inside. We can do whatever we want, sure, but it's going to destroy us. My true freedom came from submitting, submitting to what my body was saying. You can't handle this stuff anymore for us for whatever weird reason. Our true freedom comes as we surrender our whole lives to God. Jesus has purchased that for us, modeled it for us, and invites us to true freedom. And yeah, it costs. Yeah, I can't have some of those delicious gluten, glutinous treats I used to have. But in it, I find flourishing. And in that flourishing now, instead of being debilitated and focused on myself, now I can live a life that lives into the fullness of who I am. And hopefully, by God's grace, that would overflow and care for others. Let's worship God and consider how we might find our true freedom by surrendering to God afresh today.